Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 155 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, uh, coming to you live on this Tuesday evening, an off day for the Atlanta Hawks uh, in between uh, in between games, in between uh, home games, I should say, as the Hawks were playing six, six consecutive games out at Phillips Arena. Obviously, we recorded a podcast late into the night on Monday to recap the Golden State Warriors game, so if you missed that one, I would encourage you to go back and listen, uh, but uh, that, that game was sort of hijacked by the Dennis Schroeder benching and a lot of other things that happened on the court, so uh, a couple of just news items and some things to catch up on on today's show, sort of a news and notes uh, slash mailbag episode. Uh, the first thing sort of came out of nowhere for me on Tuesday uh, during the day. Uh, I was actually in attendance, of course, for Mike Budenholzer's pregame press conference before the Monday the Monday game against the Warriors. And uh, he gave an answer when prompted about Dr- about Draymond Green that I did not really think any anything of at the time. It was very complimentary of Draymond. Um, but in the aftermath of the game, uh, Draymond did an interview with uh, ESPN's Chris Haynes um, about something that Bud said. So I wanted to tee you up with that audio um, of Budenholzer talking about Draymond Green, and then I will provide you with what Green's response was after the game. So here is Bud on Draymond. Yeah, he's a unique player. Um... I, you know, it's he's so unique, but I don't know that he's the guy that you know you game plan for. He he does things just kind of so much on instinct, intuitively, and defensively, and rebounding and passing. And um, you know, I think you know, can you make it harder on him as a passer? Can you make it more difficult for him to get the assists? And you know, then defensively, doesn't matter. You know, you got to take care of the ball every night, and he's just he's good. Uh, you know, instincts and all those things. So, but you know, game plan. You know, Curry and Thompson are the guys that. And, and he's great at finding them and creating opportunities for them. Uh, so he's a big part of their, their group. I think it's pretty obvious to hear that Budenholzer is being complimentary of Green again in that, in that clip. And he was basically asked uh, by, by Andre Aldridge of uh, Fox Sports South just to kind of talk about Green as sort of an X-factor, sort of a guy who would be a, a pivot point in the game. And that was sort of a run-of-the-mill answer from Bud. Uh, Draymond is, of course, a very unique player. And uh, Bud, I think, described him as such. Maybe not perfectly, but still did a, you know, a reasonable job. And I was, again, right there and did not think anything of it. But after the game, uh, Green was asked by Haynes something about the comment. I, I guess he uh, was was told about the comment from pregame because, obviously, he would not have known that Bud said that. And uh, Draymond's response was, and I quote, and that's exactly why they can't beat us. That's exactly why they won't. Don't game plan for me. Uh, and this became a thing that sort of made the blog rounds on uh, on Tuesday. For me, this is nothing. Uh, Draymond. Uh, Draymond is really sort of a, a guy who catches his motivation from a ver- variety of different places. Uh, I've always liked Draymond. I think he's a. Uh, I mean, for those of you who understand that my uh, my college allegiances lie with Michigan, uh, Draymond's a Michigan State guy. So I did not love him in college just because of the rivalry aspect. But I've always loved his game. Um, the Hawks were interested in him reportedly ahead of the draft, and while I never thought he'd be this kind of player, um, I really, I really, really love his game. And so, and really, his, his attitude is definitely over the top at times, but. 
great as a player um, on the court that you definitely want to have on your side. And uh, he's an irritant, to be sure, and uh, this this kind of stuff it did not surprise me that he blew this thing up, but it, it surprised me that this actually became a big deal nationally. It got picked up by a few national outlets in, in addition to ESPN. Um, for me, this is just Draymond being Draymond more than anything, but I wanted to address it here because people were asking me what I thought about Budenholzer's comment. So, uh, again, I don't think Bud meant anything negative by it at all. I think he pretty much described what you have to do. It'd be very difficult to, pl- to game plan for Draymond Green in the sense that he's that prototypical player that really fills in all the gaps. Draymond's not a pure scorer by any means. He can score, but he's, of course, you know, one of the best five defensive players in the entire league. He's a great passer, does really everything you want on a basketball court, but isn't that guy you game plan defensively for uh, in that he's not the, he's not your go-to scorer. If you, if you game plan for Draymond Green, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are going to kill you, which I, mean, I, th- I think is pretty common knowledge, but Draymond took offense, and there you go. Um, that's, that's the first uh, audio point of the day from my Budenholzer on this podcast, but there's going to be plenty more where that came from. Actually, most of this podcast is going to be built around that because he was hit with a lot of different things. Uh, for those of you that may not know, um, before games, of course, Bud talks to the media. But uh, on, on days where there's a shoot-around during the day, that pregame media session is very, very very often light. But against the Warriors, there was a large contingent of media available. Um, and there was no shoot-around that day because it was, it was the second game of a back-to-back. So a lot a lot transpired there. And also, there was just kind of a roundup of a, of a bit of news. So the next thing I wanted to hit on on today's show was that uh, was was asked about Jose Calderon, who he hit on uh, earlier in the, in the week. Uh, the Hawks, of course, have signed him to be the third point guard on the roster, and I, I gave my, a little bit of a scouting report on uh, on Colorado earlier in the week, but I wanted to play you uh, basically what what Bud said about adding uh, Calderon. He was asked... Um, Basically, whether he would be the backup once he was uh, up to speed and ready to go, uh, or if it was even a possibility of him sort of uh, usurping Malcolm Delaney in the uh, rotation. So uh, here's Bud's response to that. Uh, no, I think it's hard to say. You know, I think Malcolm's been great all year. We're really pleased with how he's played, and Malcolm brings a lot to the table. Um, but I think it's great to have uh, Jose as another. You know, to get through the majority of the season without a third point guard uh, is unusual. Um, I think Jose is someone that can come in and you know, fight for those minutes, and um, you know, I, I can see giving him an opportunity and giving him chances um, to see how he can help us, but uh, Malcolm's been very, very good. When this happened, when Calderon was signed, uh, I was uh, pretty pretty immediately uh, drawn to the fact that I think Delaney will still be the backup, only because I think Calderon's defense is just that bad. Uh, obviously, you can hear there from Budenholzer that they're pretty, they're pretty pleased with, with Delaney. Uh, I think, um, for me, I've been disappointed a little bit with Malcolm's play. But not not as much as most people have been. I was pretty I was pretty high on him coming into the year, um, based on what I saw on tape and based on what uh, he did in Europe. But uh, Delaney's fine. You know, he's a much a much better defender than Calderon. And uh, even if Calderon is probably a better offensive player, a lot of the complaints that people have had about Delaney and his inability to uh, get 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 to the rim off the dribble, uh, Calderon's not going to be able to do that either. He's a better passer, probably uh, definitely a better shooter at this point in time. But Calderon's uh, athleticism is really, is really waning as he gets into his mid thirties, and uh, defensively, he's basically on play. So it'll be interesting to see um, if he gets time. Uh, obviously, um, we saw in the Golden State game that uh, even with Dennis Schroeder out of the lineup that Bud never even thought, I don't think, to go to, Delay, uh, to uh, Calderon in that fourth quarter. Uh, part of that could just be that he, he had sat for so long, but he's not quite ready to play yet. But we'll see as uh, time goes on. I'm, I'm pretty confident that Bud will give him a shot at some point because that's kind of what Bud does. Uh, he's always willing to throw a guy out there and see what he's got in a game situation. Um, and he has, he's been sort of famous for waxing and waiting on rotations in the past. But we'll see what happens there. But I'm expecting a lot of a lot of Delaney moving forward, and we'll see if uh, Calderon is good enough to, uh, to sort of supplant him. But I, my, my money would be on Delaney as the playoffs approach. 
Um, with that said, another thing to uh, get to here, some more audio from Mike Budnozer. I'm sorry, you're going to be sick of that by the end of the podcast. Um, but this next one, uh, Bud was asked about about Torian Prince and the fact that he's been drawing some high-end defensive assignments. Again, this was before the game on Monday. Prince was uh, just okay on Monday against the Warriors. Had a couple of high-profile defensive mess-ups, I thought. Um, but that's sort of, uh, as you'll hear here from, from the audio from Budenholzer, not, not a big surprise. Uh, he's definitely a rookie. And you can tell from Bud's tone, I think, uh, what he thinks about Torian at this point. But I wanted to play that audio for you. So here that is from bud yeah i think we want to push you know push his development push his growth so um and and i think to some degree he's earned it you know uh the game in boston you know we we watched uh, a lot of film after that and a lot of defense and he was he was just really really good and um now he needs to follow up those good games with with uh with another one and um you know his attention to detail his alertness you know as a rookie he's learning i'll just say you know the last couple nights um but, you know, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, and, and we want to push his growth, push his development. You can hear the uh, sort of the faint praise from Bud. Um, the Boston game was one we talked about at the time, but uh, Torian was fantastic in that game, as Bud said. But there's been some moments in the last couple of games in which he's uh, left lots of, a lot to be desired in terms of uh, awareness and things like that. He's definitely a rookie. Uh, you know, Torian's a guy I'm a fan of by, by really – I don't know, since, since, since back, going back to the Baylor days, I would say I'm a fan of, of Torian's. I was, I was a big, big fan of the pick, and I think he's going to be very good um, at the same time. He's not quite there yet. That doesn't mean I, want, I don't want to see more of him because I do. I think the Hawks need to invest more playing time, if anything, in Torian, um, even, even at small ball four at times, and also playing as a big physical three because that's, that's why they drafted him. He, they drafted him to be the guy that matches up against the, uh, the top wings defensively, and to give him that assignment was a good idea. I think multiple times against Paul George and LeBron James, uh, et cetera, I think he would have gotten a shot at Kevin Durant if Durant had, had, had actually been able to play in that game on Monday night. But uh, Torian's a guy that's a long-term project. Um, not, not a project in the way that he's like super-duper raw, but um, he's not ready to go as a full-time rotation player right now on a good team. But he's a rookie. You know, most rookies are bad. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. But uh, there's been some encouraging times and some frustrating times. And you can, I think you can hear that in the voice of Mike Budenholzer when hearing from him on, uh, on Torian before that game on Monday. With that said, uh, one more piece of audio I wanted to play for you from Bud from the pregame, and it has to do with the nine-man rotation. That's, a, that's something that the Hawks have been uh, implementing now really for the last few games. They've been uh, kind of sticking to that, to that rotation. Uh, Bud is famous for changing things up on the fly, but it's really been a solid core nine, and uh, he was asked about that and whether that's something they were planning on keeping uh, moving forward. So here's Bud's response to that question. You know, I, I would say that we're, we're pretty happy with those nine guys. I think... You know, Muscala is kind of the tenth, the one that's maybe gotten squeezed. And you know, similarly, he's really played well for us this year, and feel like he can help us. And we know he's ready. Um, but you know, the nine, the nine guys, and the way uh, Irson has played, and kind of quickly integrated, and playing smaller a little bit. Um, you know, we've we've done it now. I think a good four, five, six games, and and I think we feel good about that rotation. I think the uh, nine-man rotation makes sense against a lot of opponents for the Hawks, and uh, really the last couple uh, that the Hawks have played against, you know, the Warriors, the Cavs, uh, even, this, even even the Pacers, don't present a ton of issues when it comes to, uh, you know, guys who the Hawks would have trouble matching up against with that lineup. I think there will there'll be, there'll be certain games where Muscala, as you hear, uh, Bud referenced him as the 10th guy. That makes a lot of sense to me. He would be number 10. Uh, there will be games where I don't think Bud's going to want to uh, play with only three bigs Knowing that one, uh, you know that only one of them is really a center. Obviously, the team has been rolling with Millsap at center for uh, quite a lot recently with with the uh, development of Elisov and the acquisition of him. But uh, you know, I have no issue with it. I think I think Muscala uh, deserves some playing time occasionally. But uh, there's uh, an easy an easy argument to be 
made that uh, this is the best nine-man rotation possible. I'm glad Torian Prince is in it. Um, I'm skeptical that he would have been if Mike Dunleavy Jr. was available, but I'm kind of glad in that sense. Not the glad, not not, not glad in the sense that. You never want to root for injury for Dunleavy, but I'm glad that uh, Prince is playing. Um, I, I like to see a little bit more of Bembry and some other guys, but at the same time, this is probably the best nine-man rotation they could put out there on a day-to-day basis, and I'm interested to see what they do moving forward. But uh, there you go on that. Um, Muscala might be getting back in rotation at some point, but uh, it's a firm nine-man for now, and uh, you know we'll see what happens there moving forward. Um, before we get out of here on this fun Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning, I do have a couple of mailbag questions to get to. Um, the first comes from... Uh, the uh, the official Hawks Reddit uh, Twitter account. Uh, he he asked, "Do you think Muscala falling falling out of the rotation is going to negatively impact his free agent decision?" Obviously, we just talked about him not being in rotation the last couple of games. I think if anything, it might, it might help the Hawks uh, retain him. Um, that's not uh, obviously something that they're going to be hopefully weighing in the middle of the season. Um, but in the same breath, you know, Muscala having a little bit less time to showcase himself to other teams is probably a good thing. If the Hawks want to resign him, they will have his bird rights. So if they want to handle him late, uh, he's going to. Have a pretty small cap hold. Uh, we'll see if they're interested in signing Muscala up for uh, a long-term deal in the offseason. I, I'm of the mind that he's a he's a backup center. I think ideally he'd probably be a, a fourth wing. I mean, sorry, a fourth big, um, just kind of like he is right now for the Hawks. Maybe maybe even a fifth guy if you were a really really good team that had other options. Um, but there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Muscala would be a good value um, at, the, at the same time. Um, there's a reason why uh, he will be available for that little of a cost if he is available for that little of a cost. But the Hawks have an interesting decision away. It really kind of depends on his market, and uh, until we know what his market's going to be, uh, I think it's really tough to sort of peg down what he's going to be able to sign for in the offseason. Next question comes from uh, I am Martinsick, a uh, friend of the program. Uh, he asks, uh, even though it has led uh, the Hawks to be a top five defense, do you think the strategy of collapsing the paint on drives needs to change, especially when they have... Uh, rim protector, quote-unquote, Dwight Howard in the game. Um, it's something that I've been batting around recently with some people offline. Um, the Hawks, uh, of course, the Cleveland game is the most famous example now um, of, of this season. The Hawks uh, still have not really molded their defense uh, around Howard in the way that I would like. Um, obviously, this is an issue also last year in the playoffs with Al Horford, who's a much more mobile big, but at least in that way, it made more sense that the Hawks were playing that attacking defense, and it really uh, really sort of served them well down the stretch and allowed them to be a top, you know, top five defense, top three defense, and, and really the best defense of the entire league in the second half of last season when they were really doing the, the attacking. In the playoffs, it did not work, of course, but uh, this season they've, done, they've not really you know, built around Howard in the way that I would like to see them do more often that to sort of uh, maximize his strengths. There's a reason um, that he cannot be flagged on, on, the, on the perimeter at this point in his career. So uh, I don't know. You know the way that this question terms it. You know collapsing the pin on drives. I think it would be it'd probably be better served to filter a little bit more into Dwight as a pure uh, rip protector because he's not really comfortable flying around the perimeter. But uh, you know the Hawks are still good defensively. There are games we saw that with the Cleveland game um, that they're really open uh, to allowing a lot of threes. Uh, I think the perimeter defense has actually been worse than the interior defense this season for the most part. I, you know I've talked about Dennis Schroeder being bad this season defensively numerous times. Kent Bazemore has not been good defensively for most of the season. Tim Hardaway Jr. is still not, still not a good defensive player by any means. So uh, those guys, uh, you know, there's some issues there. Tom Cephalosha is still fantastic. Torian Prince, that's a long way to go, as we talked about earlier on the, on the podcast. Um, aside from Paul Millsap, there really isn't that lockdown guy. I mean, other than, Mil- I guess I guess Cephalosha would be the next guy, of course, who's a solidly above average defender. But aside from that, it's really this, just those two guys. And if you want to say, tell me that, t- that Howard is still an above average defender, that's probably fine as well. But uh, you, you really, for, for, his, for the personnel the Hawks 
Bucks have to actually be as good as they've been is probably a win, and that is sort of a credit to Mike Budenholzer and the way that this team is coached. But there are there are issues, and they allow too many threes. We talked about that at length, and that definitely happened uh, over the weekend. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm generally I would like to see them build a little bit more around Howard's strengths. But I, I do understand that he's the only one playing like that. So if you want to have a more cohesive uh, system that's kind of uh, interchangeable based on personnel, that's the way you kind of have to do it. And finally, the last question of the day comes from Astro Joe via our Locked on Hawks Gmail account. That's LockedOnHawks at gmail.com. If you ever want to send a a longer form question in, that's a good place to do it. Uh, The question is, would you be willing to trade the Hawks 2017 first round draft pick in order to dump the contract of Kent Bazemore this summer? And then he says, of course, this also takes into consideration that the Hawks will have the uh, potentially the top the, the top pick in the second round from the Nets, and also will have likely four plus roster spots to fill, uh, ge- generated by losing a bunch of free agents in the offseason. Um, it's really complicated. I think really it comes down to what the Hawks want to do in the offseason. If they're if they're dead set on competing next year. Um, then trading a first-round pick to get rid of Kent Baseball doesn't really help you unless you're going to go out and use that money on something else. Um, if they were going to uh, try to rebuild and sort of blow things up completely, um, I still don't know if I would do that only because of the fact that, yes, a baseball contract is definitely a bad one, but uh, he's also not good enough to where if you were trying to rebuild and, uh, you know, quote-unquote tank, that he would make you too good to do that. So uh, it's almost not worth giving up an asset like that to, uh, to, to be able to get off of his contract. If you were able to uh, do that by trading only that Nets pick necessarily, you know, it's basically a quasi first round pick. If you were able to do that, I'm, I would probably be more willing to do that than give up the Hawks first runner, which is probably going to be somewhere in the 20 range. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a large price to pay. There was this whole discussion on Tuesday as to just kind of how bad Kent Bazemore's contract is. A local radio guy, Chuck, Chuck Oliver from, six, from 680 The Fan in Atlanta, uh, posited this question about which was the worst contract between Kent Bazemore and Joakim Noah of the New York Knicks. Um, that's really not even close, to be honest. Uh, Noah's probably the worst contract in the entire league, and Bazemore's not that close um, in terms of uh, being a bad contract. Yes, it is a bad deal, but uh, there were some Hawks fans I saw in, in, uh, in Chuck's mentions talking about how Bazemore was the right answer there, and that's uh, not even close, to be honest. Uh, Bazemore's contract is bad. There's no question about that. It, lo- it looks like it's like it was definitely going to be a mistake for Atlanta to sign that deal, um, but at the same breath, he's not he's not a functional, um, just nothing like like uh, like Joakim Noah, like Joakim, Joakim Noah is at this point in time. Bazemore is potentially uh, just more of a bench rotation player than anything else right now. I think he's definitely not playing at a starter level this season, and that's obviously an overpay. If you're giving you know $17 million or so to a uh, what amounts to a bench wing, that's not a great thing. But um, he is at least playable um, for the most part, and that makes him a, a less more of a, a less of a disaster contract than it would be for some other guys in the league like Joakim Noah, like Luol Deng, like Timothy Mozgov, even Solomon Hill with the Pelicans. Uh, although that's a little bit less money, but he. He's been, uh, you know, probably worse versus uh, baseball this season. So there's there's some, there's some guys to talk about there. Kids' contract is not good, and I'm not sure I would do that. But it really, you have to give me more information as to what the Hawks are trying to do. I do understand trying to get off of it, but if they did that just to do it, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Because uh, if the Hawks are going to try to be try to be good next year, they're probably, you know, the way they're going to do that is to uh, go over the cap and use their bird rights to sign guys like like Paul Millsap, like Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, even Mike Muscala. And if they do that, getting rid of baseball salaries not going to be able to help them get better necessarily and if you're if you're not getting better then you probably want to use that first round pick on an actual player versus using it to get rid of Bezos contracts so it's definitely a mess but we'll see what they do uh, moving forward uh, and hopefully the uh, baseball make it easier on them by playing better basketball down the stretch of the season and into and into next year because that would be a a, a huge boon for Atlanta 
With all that said, we're going to wrap up today's podcast right here. Uh, obviously, there's a game on Wednesday night. The Hawks have uh, arguably the easiest game on their entire schedule, a home game against the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, the Hawks are going to be a huge favorite in that game in Las Vegas. And you know, all the projections, all the projection systems will weigh in with the Hawks as you know, an 80-90% favorite in that game. So that's the spot where the Hawks absolutely need to, need to take care of business at home against a far inferior team. If they cannot do that, it could be trouble moving forward. Uh, but we'll obviously react to that game when it happens on Wednesday. I will be in the building. So probably record the podcast from Phillips Arena and uh, until then please subscribe to the podcast listen uh, to all your friends about the show follow us on Peace Hughes follow me on Twitter at BT Roll follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Hawks and also on Facebook on Lockdown Hawks and uh, we'll be back again on Thursday to wrap up everything from Wednesday night so stay tuned <laughs>